This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. Genesis chapter 6. I want us to look at this while you're in Genesis chapter 6. If you would also turn to the back of your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter two, beginning in verse four, says, "For God did not spare; for if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others." When he uh, brought a flood upon the world of ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as the righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. If all of those... Then verse 9 is really the whole punchline of all this. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment till the day of judgment. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's the whole idea today. The title of this message is The Great Rescue. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. We think about rescues, the, the greatest rescue that I could come up with was the story of Noah and the ark. And you know this story. I've preached several different times on this passage of scripture, and it's like every time I come back to it, the Lord brings something new. He brings something out of his word. And so I want us to look at this for just a little bit today. There was a point in time in history where violence, perversion, and lust overtook humanity. Humanity, if you will, had become demonized. Literally, the demons that had fallen from heaven were possessing the human beings, and the demons were controlling, and they were doing all kind of evil. The demonized people sought after all sorts of evil and perversion and violence. And it was to the point that Moses, who was writing Genesis, recounts the story In Genesis 6, verses 5 through 6, when he says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. That's scary. To know that the Lord who saw that everything was good, remember? 
In creation, he created the heavens of the earth, and he sat back and said it's good. He created light and darkness. He said it was good. He created all the things, of, uh, that, all the creatures, and he said it was good. And he created human beings, and he said it's very good. And now just shortly, uh, very shortly in our Bible later, some years later, now he is regretting that he has made man and has grieved him in his heart. Evil has multiplied faster than the population. So it spread throughout the entire people of the earth. The idea of every intention of the thought, not even the thought, but the intention of the thought is continually evil. It can be compared to Paul's writings. We can see that their thoughts, that which was in their heart or in their soul, if you will, the words that were communicated and then the actions that followed, all were evil. And Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. He says, And it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we break it down in three separate places. The souls. I believe this is where these people were. None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks after God. Their soul has become dark, it's become bitter, it's become gloomy, they're evil. In their words, Paul said their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. Now Paul's writing uh, about a church later down the road, but this is something that's gone on from throughout history. And if you think about it, don't we live in a very similar culture as what Paul's describing? Don't we live in a place where the soul is dark and the words are, the throat is an open grave? That's a heavy language to put that. The, the, the lips, the tongue is, is deceiving. The venom of a snake is under the lips. And then he talks about the deeds. Their feet are swift to shed blood and their paths are ruin and misery. And these people and their words, their souls and in their deeds are evil. So God responds with a declaration, the declaration that we see in verse 7 where he says, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land. His judgment will evolve, involve a complete erasure of humanity. Complete, no, nothing's going to live, not, even, not just humanity, but the creatures. Everything he has created from this point forward is going to be no more. He's created this declaration the destruction of everything from man to animals had to do with man's sovereignty over the earth. Man was given authority. He was given the sovereignty. He was told everything in the beginning. God told Adam, everything is under your subjection. You have authority over all the animals, over all creation. And now because man is corrupt, man's now losing, all, we're, we're losing all of humanity, but not only are we losing humanity, we're also going to lose the creation that humanity was subject, uh, was standing over. There would be no half measures in dealing with sin, and there still are no half measures in dealing with sin. God was not going to deal with sin in a way that was half-heartedly. He was going to wipe it out. And realistically, the plan is still the same. God's going to rid all of creation from sin. But there was one man. Out of all creation, God found blameless in his generation 
Noah. Moses describes Noah in the terms of fully dimensioned man of God, a man that had things together. These are the generations. This is what verses 9 and 10 say. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless as in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. So let's look at it. Noah was a righteous man. He wasn't righteous because he didn't have sin. He wasn't righteous because he was perfect. If he had been perfect, he could have been Jesus, right? We know that he had sin. We know that he even shortly after he gets off the ark, goes and gets drunk and lays around naked so that his sons find him and they end up getting cursed because the youngest son gets cursed because he doesn't cover him up. We know there are issues. There's problems. Noah's not perfect, so his righteousness doesn't come from perfection. But instead, it simply comes because he believed God. Like Abraham, who believed the Lord and counted it all righteousness, in Genesis 15, 6, Noah believed. The fact that righteousness came by faith is clear in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Noah. He said, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah became the heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So Noah was righteous, not because of perfection, but he was righteous because of faith. And then Moses tells us that Noah walked with God. Like Enoch, Noah walked with God. Enoch and Noah were the only ancient patriarchs to ever walk with God. They experienced something that only the pre-fallen Adam and Eve had ever experienced. They experienced this true intimacy and obedience of what it was like for Adam and Eve as they walked in the garden. Noah now was this full-dimensioned, if you will, complete man of God. And verse 8 said he found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. The fact that he was blameless in his generation shows that he was completely different. I told you it was a very evil uh, generation, a very evil culture. Evil had taken over every man except for Noah. Every person, uh, the very intentions of the thought is what Scripture says, were evil continually, yet Moses somehow was different. He somehow was not like them. He was not uh, bound by their sin. He was not bound by this evil. The demonized culture did not divert or pervert him, and it could not indict him. He was the one bright spot among the numberless dark souls of the world. But Noah was wretched like the rest. He was not saved by his righteousness. He was saved by grace. He was not saved by his righteousness. He was saved by grace, just like you and I. The statement that Noah was a righteous man is the first mention of righteousness in the Bible and it sets that standard that righteousness comes by faith. Noah not only stood alone, not only was he different, but he also preached righteousness. Peter tells us that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, he says, preaching righteousness in any way. Uh, Peter says, Perverted, uh, perverse Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others. And as he preached this, as he preached anything, it could not have gone a good way. It would have been a struggle. He is trying to preach to a violence-ridden, pre-flood culture. And he got, could not have survived 
had it not been for God. Humanity is corrupt. Noah is righteous. So God has a great rescue plan. He's got a plan to save humanity. He's got a plan to save Noah. He's got a plan that would allow us to still be here today. And you know the story. God gave very specific instructions for Noah to build a large boat. And as he laid out the boat, as he uh, laid out the keel, if you will, the, the deepest part of the boat, it's 450 foot long. If you can think about one and a half football fields, no chainsaws, no tools. Trees have to be uh, grown. They've got to cut them down. They've got to haul them in. Him and his three sons have a, a century's worth of work to do. We can't even fathom a century's worth of work because we oftentimes don't even live a century. And I can't imagine if you put that in perspective to know that our lifespan, our lifetime, on average would be equal to the time that it took Noah to put together this boat. So he gives the instructions and Noah begins to build. And the only thing that he had to sustain him was the promised word of God. The covenant that, that God gave Noah in chapter 6, verses 18 through 21, he says, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring to every sort, two of every sort, into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. So also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and stored up, and it shall uh, serve as food for you and food for them. That's no easy task. First of all, is there an animal that you don't like? Most people have something they're scared of, right? I don't do snakes. So I'm not about to get on a boat with two of every kind of snake, right? It's not happening. So many people maybe don't like dogs. And now here we have two of dogs that have to be on the ark. Not only do we have to have two of every living creature of all flesh, we've got to have two birds that are going to be loud. And can you imagine uh, an elephant doing this little thing, blowing its horn at the same time that a parakeet's chirping all night long? I, can't, I don't know that I could handle it. Put yourself in that place. Not only was he supposed to have the animals, but he was supposed to get the food. And all of this was a covenant, and he believed God, that God's going to wipe out humanity. God's going to do something God's never done before. A flood's coming, and the only way you're going to live is if you build this boat. Put it in our, our terms. We're talking about a great rescue plan. We're talking about a way for humanity to be saved. We're talking about a way for Noah to be saved. So what is it when God speaks to us and gives us some kind of direction to pour into somebody's life? What is it when God says, hey, if you just simply communicate with this person, if you follow my lead, if you do what it is that I'm telling you to do, what I'm calling you to do, there's a difference going to be made. Noah, had he not believed God and had he not acted on faith, humanity would not exist. And in the same way that that was the rescue plan, we could very well be the rescue plan for the person beside us. Actually, we are the rescue plan for the rest of the world. We are the rescue plan. 
God's put a call on our life. He, he's told every one of us, not just me because I hold the microphone. He's directed all of us, every Christian, every person that's a Christ follower, to be the rescue plan to go and make disciples. We're the rescue plan. The question is, are we believing God the way that Noah believed God, and are we acting the way that Noah acted? The promise of God's word sustained Noah to persevere. See, we even have a better advantage than Noah did. We have the instruction manual. We have directions. We even have words printed on the page that we can use to communicate the plan. Yet still so often, we don't have the faith to act. And Noah did all that he was told to do. Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. An amazing man had ridden out of the heart dead waste of the culture. He was a man who knew God, who knew himself. He was a man that was alive to God. So Noah completed the ark, and the Lord spoke for the last time before the flood would come. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. The Lord said, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I've seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, a male and his mate, and the pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female. Keep the offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I'll send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. Every living thing that I have made will blot out from the face of the earth. And Noah did all the Lord commanded him to do. I love the way that God ordered all of creation to come into the ark. He ordered creation to go into the ark. God orchestrated all of this. Noah didn't have to go and herd up a pair of elephants. He didn't have to go herd up the, the pair of giraffes. He didn't have to go herd some cats, which is impossible to herd cats, right? We say that coaching four, five, and six-year-old soccer is like herding cats. It's not possible. He didn't have to do this because God ordered creation to go into the ark. They go into the ark. And then my favorite part probably of this whole story, and I'm not going to talk about it all right now because I've got to talk about it in a few minutes, is that the Lord shut the door. God shut them in. And so we're looking at this, after this point, seven days of waiting. Seven days of waiting. Forty days of rain. 150 days the water sits on the earth. 150 days, finally, God says, hey, I remember Noah. Because God doesn't forget where he places us. You know that? God may place you in a boat in the middle of a storm, but his rescue plan is still intact, and he does not forget where he places you. So 150 days after the water sat, the wind blows and the water begins to dry up. It takes 150 days for the water to dry up, and then there's 40 days of waiting. Then there's seven days of waiting. Then there's seven more days of waiting. We're talking about 408 days from the time that God speaks to the time that they can actually walk out of the ark. God gave instructions to be fruitful and multiply on the earth. 
And then the very first act that Noah did was build an altar to the Lord and lift up burnt offerings. The Bible says that when he smelled, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said in his heart, I'll never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. You know how the story concludes. God sends a rainbow, a bow in the sky. And it doesn't matter how bad, how how hard evil tries to corrupt the rainbow. The rainbow will always signify God's promise. I don't care what anybody else says about a rainbow. It will always signify God's covenant with man. His covenant that he loves his people enough to send the rescue plan. So there's three thoughts, three truths that I really want to bring to you that really are the meat of all this for me. First of all, Noah had provision. There's three truths. These truths are are applicable to us as well as they were to Noah. God gave Noah provision. He provided him the resources to fulfill the obligation. I need you to build this ark. It's going to be ginormous. It's very specific. You've got to coat it down and waterproof it. But I'm going to give you what you need to make it happen. And when you're tired, I'm going to give you strength to get back up and keep doing. When you can't nail the next nail, I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to restore your soul. I'm going to give you the joy to keep on going. He gave him strength and sustainability. He had to have. He had to have provided grace to Noah. Noah wasn't perfect, yet Noah was righteous. And we, we think so often, and I'm not talking about us yet, I'm talking about Noah. Noah really had not experienced Jesus in the cross whatsoever at this point, yet we have. And he got his righteousness from faith. God provided what was needed for worship that would take place after the flood. For us, God provides instruction. God provides that strength when we're weak. When we can't go on anymore, God gives us what we need. When we feel like we're weak and we can't move and we can't do anything else, when we're stuck, whenever we're just falling, His word tells us that when we're weak, he gives us strength. In fact, it says he'll mount us up on wings like eagles. He's going to provide for us. Not only is he going to provide the strength, but he's also going to give us the grace. We don't deserve grace. Amen? I don't deserve grace today, just like you don't deserve grace today. Yet, we have grace. Not only do we have grace, but we have everything that we need to worship. There's no excuse for us. I don't have to have... I mean, we can go all the way. I don't have to have comfy pews and pretty music and 
I don't even have to have the church building to worship the Lord. Job lost everything he had. I mean, just within a little bit of losing his own body. Yet he was still able to worship. God not only gave Noah provision, but he also gave him protection. He protected Noah from evil. He protected Noah from death. See, I love the idea of God shutting them in the ark. I don't like to be shut in anywhere. I don't. I don't like the feeling of confinement. I don't like feeling like I can't get out. I remember in high school, hopefully none of y'all have experienced this on the other side, but I remember in high school we went to visit a jail in a criminal justice class. And we walked through this gate. We had to stop, and a gate shut behind us. And then when we walked through the next gate, the next gate shut behind us. Maybe you're cool with that. Maybe you've been in scenarios and that was okay. That was a very eerie, I remember that feeling being so eerie to me. Because it doesn't matter how bad I want to get out, I'm here. It doesn't matter what kind of danger I face, I'm here. And Noah is now shut in the ark. They have no idea. 40 days and 40 nights are all he's told. It's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. They have no idea that they'll be on the ark for 408 days. We have no reason to believe that they know. They're shut in. But what's so beautiful about it is that everything else is shut out. Sometimes when God is shutting us into situations, when he's closing a door, it's to protect us and keep everything else out. The trial, the flood, the water could not go into the boat. The evil. I mean, these people were violent. Our kids are in here today, so I really couldn't elaborate a whole lot. It's unreal. The evil that was taking place in these people. And as God shut them in the boat, he shut everybody else and all of the evil out. And so for us, if you will, when we contemplate this and we think about what this really is, God is trying his best to protect you and me, and he's trying to protect us in his son and in his word and in the Holy Spirit. He's trying to get us. If I'm consumed here and I'm shut in here, then it's shutting everything else out. He protected Noah from death. The beautiful thing about knowing Jesus is that I never have to die. My physical body may quit working one day. My heart may quit beating. And I may even be put in the ground. But I'm not dead. I'm not going to die. I'm protected from death. Because of the blood of Jesus, Scripture simply says that if I believe that Jesus is who he said he is and I confess it with my mouth, then I have eternal life. God said, I sent my son to the world that you may have life and have eternal life. So eternal life means I'm protected from death. 
Not only was there the provision, the protection, but God gave Noah a promise. God made the covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again. Noah, I've asked some big things of you, son. But if you believe on me and you act in faith, you never have to do this again. They get off the ark. Oh, you see this beautiful symbol. Again, I'm stuck on Psalm 19. The heavens are declaring the glory of the Lord. The rainbow is declaring not only God's glory, but God's grace and God's love. Noah had a promise. For us, Jesus gives a promise of peace. Jesus gives a promise of forgiveness. Jesus gives a promise of his Holy Spirit. He gives a promise of strength. He gives a promise of comfort. He gives a promise of guidance. He gives the promise he'll never leave us. And he promises eternal life for all that believe in him. For all humanity, God gave Noah the great rescue. And today, God has given Jesus as the great rescue. Jesus is the great rescue. This whole thing is pretty simple. If I'm allowing God to be my provision, not only for my source of food, my source of income, not only for my basic needs, but if I'm truly allowing God to be the provision for my soul, I'm consuming what Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. I'm consuming the bread of life. As long as he is my provision spiritually, mentally, I'm learning more and more how to organize my thoughts, how to deal with the way that I feel. I've told you before, I have no problem telling you. I see a counselor on a regular basis because I need help organizing my thoughts. We all need help. And I'm learning more and more that as long as I structure every thought and I combat every lie with truth and I allow God to be provision, I'm safe. Always. The struggle is the enemy does not want that to be the case. The enemy is throwing lie after lie after lie in our life. But God said, I'm giving you truth after truth, and I'm giving you promise after promise. You just got to accept my provision. And if we accept his provision, and if we allow him to protect us, Jesus said that no temptation has come to you, that you don't have a way around it. You don't have a way out that's too great for you to handle. He's protecting us not only from sin, but from death. And if I'll embrace that and I emerge myself in the provision and the protection of God, then the promises of God are so beautiful. He's pouring out promise after promise after promise after promise on my life. So, 
Here we are. What's this got to do with anything? The Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials. The Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly. McCaden loves to watch the Coast Guard shows. They used to be on TV, Coast Guard Alaska, Coast Guard Florida. And sometimes we just sit down and we'll find one. And those guys are on a mission to rescue somebody out in the middle of the ocean, out on a boat. There's somebody that's been in a hiking accident. Whatever it is, their goal is to get to that person and get them to safety. If when they arrive to take that person up in that basket, if when they get to the individual, if the individual decides he's going to start throwing punches and he don't want to get in that basket, the Coast Guard cannot accomplish their mission. They cannot rescue the individual that does not want to be rescued. And in the same way, if we do not want God's provision, if we're not willing to let his word be what sustains us through all of life, and we're not willing to allow him to protect our soul, if we're not willing to give him every part of our being so that our, our soul, our heart, our mind can be protected, if we're not willing to do that, we do not receive the promises of God. Jesus is the great rescue, but you got to get in the basket. And it's not just about being saved. I recognize probably everybody in the room has a relationship with Jesus. I'm not just talking about salvation. That's great. I'm saved. Jesus is my rescue plan. No. It's so much deeper than that. I'm saved too, but that don't mean that the lies in my head have to be fought and battled with truth of Scripture. I have to allow God to be my provision. I have to allow God to be my protection. My salvation is secure. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the fulfillment of my life, allowing God to change who I am and allowing God to make me new and renew my thoughts and change the way that I think so that I can be Christ-like and who he wants me to be. It's beyond salvation. We're chasing after the promises of God. And the Lord said, I'll give you the perfect plan. All you got to do is be righteous by faith. Believing that I am who I said I am. Believing that this word is true. Believing that if you give everything you are to me, you receive the promise. Father, I love you. God, I thank you for your goodness, your grace. Lord, I thank you for a man named Noah who in the middle of a corrupt generation, in the middle of total corruption and violence, God, so much perversion, Lord. Lord, in the middle of, of this total uproar, there was one man that wasn't perfect. Lord, he had sin in his life. He didn't have it all together, but he was determined he was going to believe your word. He was going to believe what you said as he walked with you, God, and he was found righteous by his faith in you. I'm thankful for Noah today, God. Had it not been for Noah and his righteousness and, and the grace that you give him, Father, because of his faith, Lord, we wouldn't be here. But you had a rescue plan. Father, I'm thankful today that you've shut us in some situations. Father, to shut some other stuff out. I'm thankful, God, for that, that protection, the protection you put on our life to, to push. Lord, there's relationships that we've lost. There's people that have walked away from us that we, we can't figure out. We don't understand why. Are they distant? What is it going on? And God, it's you protecting us. It's you keeping that, that negativity. It's you keeping that darkness out of our life. It's a protection. Thank you for the provision. 
Lord, that you, of your word, God, that I can feed on, that I can feast on. Lord, I can just, I can almost ingest you and who you are. I can meditate on you, Father. Lord, that I receive the provision you've got for me. Lord, I thank you for those promises. God, the promise of our life, or the promise of, of strength and courage, comfort, peace, Father, in every situation, or the promises are endless. According to your word, all the promises in the Lord are yes and amen. Father, I pray today for those that are in this room, or maybe that don't know you, that aren't in a relationship with you. Father, I pray that you move in their hearts today. God, but I pray for those that do know you. Lord, it's so easy to get complacent and to hear a story like Noah's Ark and think, well, yeah, Jesus is my rescue story. I'm safe and sound. He saved me. I try to live right. But there's so much more to this relationship with you. It's this never-ending growing process, God, that you want with us. Lord, you want to be our provision in every area of our life. You want us to let you into the, the, the smallest details, the largest details, Father, and everything in between so that you can be our provision, God. And while you're our provision, you can also be our protection, Lord, so that we can have that promise, the promises of fulfillment, the promise God, of life and life abundantly that you have for us. So, Father, today we commit that to you. Family, I just want to challenge you for a moment. Analyze your life. Not just your everyday mundane life, but analyze your thought life the emotions that you deal with, the struggles, the highs, the lows, sometimes the arrogance, sometimes the pride, the inadequacies. The Analyze your life for a moment. Ask God to show you those areas that he can be your provision and your protection. Father, I pray for those today, God, that are struggling. God, as we are seeking you in this moment, Lord, seeking out what it is, that where it is in our life, Father, we need to, to step out and allow you to be the protection and the provision for our life. Or maybe we've not given every area of our life to you. Yes, we're saved. Yes, we recognize that you died on the cross for us, Lord. We recognize that I can live this life and, and repent of my sins and I can know that I have an eternity in heaven, Father, but life is so much more than that. Or those today that are struggling, that are not living this abundant life. Lord, give them the, the places today in their hearts and in their minds that need to be filled with your protection and provision. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray your promises over your people today. God, I pray that every situation and circumstance, God, every promise of yours is yes and amen over their life. Lord, I pray for strength. I pray for wisdom. God, your word tells us that if we ask, Father, you'll give wisdom. 
Father, if we, we need, we're weak, God, you're going to give us strength. Whenever we're down and we're out, Father, you're going to give us comfort. You're, you're not going to leave us. You're, when we're isolated, Father, we can hang on to the promise that you're there. You'll never leave us. You're not going to forsake us. God, you, you are peace. So whenever we have no peace, when we're, we're empty, when we're struggling, when we're, we're mourning, Father, we're full of sorrow. Father, I pray the promise of peace over your people today. Lord, I pray the promise of the Holy Spirit over your people today. God, I pray the promise of eternal life and life abundantly over your people today. Let us remain in your provision and your protection so that we could receive the promises in the name of Jesus. Lord, bless your people. Keep them. Let your face shine on them. Give them grace and peace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.